Okay, we are live. I'm joined by the CLV lady herself, Juliana Jackson. Juliana, give us an intro. I think most people know already about who you are and what your background is and how you got involved with e-commerce. Hi, Adam. Nice to be here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm the CLV lady. I uh, handle the plant seeding for Omniconvert. I'm the plant seeder, the main plant seeder farmer. In other words, I'm the chief evangelist for Omniconvert. And uh, they call me the CLV lady because I cannot stop talking about customer life and value. And I'm happy to be here. And I'm looking for the notification on LinkedIn so I can share this live on my LinkedIn too. <laughs> okay, Look, there it is. It came through. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna go a little bit against the grain. We're gonna be less positive and more bashing on the um, the negative e-commerce side today, I'm sure. So let's get right into it. What's wrong with the traditional e-commerce growth formula and why is it flawed? Oh man. So, I mean, listen, the e-commerce growth formula, it's very outdated. I think it hasn't been updated for the last 20 years. So most people look at e-commerce growth as traffic multiplied by conversion rate multiplied by AOV, which is a very soft spot for me. And they think that is considered growth. However, the, the part with the, the old uh, formula that we don't take into consideration is that growth doesn't happen only on the website and doesn't happen only through conversion rate. Where, where I stand and where we stand from a customer value optimization point of view is that the growth happens after you know, the customer purchase for the first time. Because if you get people to buy from you, that's, that's brilliant. But if you get them to buy from you again and again, that's how you grow a business. So I guess the way I look at the e-commerce growth formula is in a way that justifies business wins and not marketing wins. And I think uh, it's a very big difference between marketing wins and business wins. And I don't know when in the process we have, uh, you know, we started confusing them with each other because... Mm -hmm. If you look in the market at the moment, uh, there's majority of the consultants and agencies that are talking about, you know, I'm just going to increase your revenue and your conversion rate and your traffic and your ROS and so on. And everything is just basically tickling the balls of revenue. However, I'm sorry, I should have warned you about the profanity. <laughs> no, we but, want more of it. Keep it coming. <laughs> okay. But revenue, right? It's not enough to move the needle. So if you want to look at e-commerce growth, you have to consider what happens post-purchase. So the, the actual e-commerce growth formula, which is the one that I've been posting everywhere and I have it right now looking at it because sometimes I forget stuff and Valentina <laughs> gives me shit for it. The e-commerce growth formula uh, contains a very important part, which is mostly like the basis of everything, which is the ratio between the customer lifetime value and the acquisition cost, not the ratio between the acquisition cost and customer lifetime value. And no, it's not just semantics, it's maths. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, opti the optimal way to look at e-commerce growth is to know your ratio between your lifetime value and your acquisition cost. And then what takes, uh, what impacts the customer lifetime value, which is the RFM segmentation, which is the customer satisfaction, which is the customer effort score, which is the margin, the retention rate, and basically everything that you know happens post-purchase. So you cannot look at e-commerce growth just from what happens, you know, your person lands on the website, buys from you, and then goodbye. That's not that's not how you run a business. That's how you just, you know, have a community page or a landing page, and that's it. Why does no one measure the net promoter score or the customer effort score? What was that? Why does nobody measure, measure sorry, the NPS or customer effort score? 
come on, Adam. <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of brands that do. Unfortunately. Okay, why do most not measure it? Yeah, I'm trying to be polite right now. So, no. <laughs> I, I think I think the way we uh I blame us too. So there's a lot of people at to to be blamed on how we visualize growth right now. Is the agencies, is the consultants, it's also the software companies. So when Amazon came on the market, people that started doing direct to consumer websites, they didn't understand that Amazon functions on customer lifetime value and RFM segmentation. And the reason that they function like this is because they provide a convenient, safe way to do online purchasing that makes the consumer feel safe. What e-commerce brands took from it and consultants and agencies took the sales part, right? So for the last 20 years, we have been seeing a sales culture that's being, I guess, solidified by everyone. And everyone went in. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I, I used to, you know, be on that side too. I think you and everyone. We, we all were preaching conversions. We all were preaching sales and revenue increases and so on. And when the problem of the market right now is not... How can I say this? It's not necessarily why they don't do this. Is the reason behind uh, this mentality, this culture. It's like everyone is looking for a quick win right now. So you cannot get a quick win if you spend time and uh, assess the customer satisfaction score. You can assess the customer effort score. You do everything to understand, you know, the journey and how people visualize, uh, you know, shopping from you. But that doesn't give you a quick win. And the market right now is looking for that intoxicating feeling of growth yeah. and for that quick win, that fast buck. So the reason why brands are not doing it, the long answer to that was, it's just because they don't, you know, they don't get the return that fast. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and it, that puts a lot yeah. of the pressure, doesn't it? We've spoke about this where you get brought in and I can even say it for us as well. And there's a lot of pressure for immediate gratification. Because people yeah. are constantly measuring against acute short term. Okay, how much did I invest? What's my return? Well, like you said, if you delay that gratification, then no no marketing channel is like a magic bullet for your company. You have to look at all of some of its parts. And yeah, unfortunately, people don't do that. Hi, Shamim. Nice to see you. Let's go on, okay, to the, the uh, fundamentals then. And let's say if you have been very focused on revenue, how do you shift the mindset and start to take a more holistic approach to customer lifetime value oh man so um i think uh if you have been you have let's let's talk about the mid-sized brand that's been on the market for two three years and they were very revenue focused and sales focused and they have a bad retention rate they have a bad i guess customer experience behind they lo lose a lot of customers after the first sale their email marketing was never directed to nurture. Their ads were never directed to, you know, target the right people. And the customer support is just considered the cost center, which is like 95% of the e-commerce industry right now. Um, you cannot just uh, put, take like, a, you know, like when I wanted to quit smoking, I used to have like a nicotine patch. And you cannot just put a nicotine patch on your retention or you cannot put a bandaid on your retention and expect yeah. not to want to smoke. Because it's everything in your mind. Like if your mind decides that I'm gonna be retention focused, then that mindset switch should, you know, inform all your business strategies. But a lot of people that I see right now 
you know, joining the bandwagon, which is great that they do. It's, it's awesome. I live for that. It's, they are, you know, doing the same uh, mistake. They're waiting for that quick win. So don't install a, a software that helps with your retention and expect that software to increase your retention rate in a month. Don't work with an email marketing agency and expect them to grow your retention in a month. Don't yeah. work with no one and expect anything in return in a month or two or three. It takes a lot of time to fix your issues. And I said this in another podcast, like a lot of people view retention, like going to the dentist, you brush you know, your, your teeth for one hour straight before the appointment to hide six months of, of neglect. Yeah. It's, gonna happen. yeah. it's not gonna happen. So the best way to approach customer lifetime value is to approach it in your, uh, in your head first. It's a mindset. Of course, you, you should start by segmenting your customers. You should start by uh, understanding which are your most viable customers. You should do research to understand more about their experience with you, to understand the reason of, you know, for what they buy, to personalize their experience via email, via retargeting, via ads, via all the channels that you communicate with. You should empower your customer support. Like there's so many changes that you cannot, a lot of people try to make retention and customer lifetime value sound easy, but it's not. Yeah. And, what John says, and I, I love John for that, like every, I, he posted about this um, some day ago and he said like everything should start even before the purchase. And I agree with that. Like you should think about uh, a customer's yeah. journey way before he purchases, he lands on your website. And then it's when you start building, you know, and doing that customer development. And like, you cannot expect a lot of people to be saved from your past customer day database. You can save some but you won't be able to save everyone. So at least fix your issues and try to address the new customers that you bring in a different way. So you can learn from the mistakes that you have, but it's, it's just a mindset switch. That's all. And it's the hardest thing to do. <laughs> yeah. It, it's very difficult. Yeah. Hi yeah. Lisa. Got some um, ears and eyes listening in. Albert, nice to see you there. Hey, Albert, I like Albert. I just connected with him. He's smart. I like. I him. also agree. He's very, very intelligent. I like his comments a lot. And um, I like Lisa too because she's Romanian. Romania in the house. I know you don't like Romania. Adam. it's fine. We, we don't. Have <laughs> what did I say? I don't like Romania. <laughs> that's not. That's not true. I love Romania. Okay, so um, if the traditional model is flawed, and let's say we. Uh, there's a oh, I don't recognize that formula, Adam. I, I need to switch around for you. Uh, okay, let, let's 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 leave it off the screen. What is a healthy um, percentage then from the acquisition to the lifetime value? What's a good formula, a starting point of view? So the ratio between customer lifetime value and acquisition cost. Um, you have to think about it like this. So it's just a question, and I and I and I repeat this a lot of times. So to understand the ratio between the lifetime value and the acquisition cost in that order specifically, <laughs> you have to ask yourself one question: To what extent is it worth for you to invest in customers, in acquiring yeah. customers, based on how much they spend in your store? So it's very important that this ratio obviously to be smaller for the acquisition cost and higher for the customer lifetime value. There's no actual magic number for it. Everyone swears by the uh, three to one, but mm -hmm. that's, it's a two to one. It's okay. It means, you know, like you're, you're making something a one to one means you're breaking even most of the times you're really not, <laughs> but it, it looks like you're breaking even if you have a, yeah. a one to one ratio, a two to one, it means you're making some money 
and people say that the three to one ratio means you are on a, on a good path. Now, the problem with this ratio, and which is something I want to get some attention on, is the calculation of the acquisition cost. A lot of people do not know how to calculate acquisition cost. Acquisition cost is not easy to calculate, and there is no software that automates the acquisition cost because it doesn't only include how much you spend on ads. It doesn't include only what you think it's on the surface. It also includes the tools that you spend, the agencies that yeah. you work with, it includes your overhead, the salaries, and everything. Yeah. So if you do want to have clear a clear vision of the ratio between your uh, lifetime value and your acquisition cost, you have to calculate it correctly. And then only then you can actually see how healthy your business is. But you have to always aim for the ratio of lifetime value to be higher than the acquisition cost. But the only way you can do that is to look at the main influence influencer and the main KPI that impacts lifetime value which is customer experience. So customer lifetime value is not a transactional metric. I know a lot of people would think that it is, but it's not. That's the reason why customer lifetime value can be a very dangerous metric or a very dangerous concept in the hands of someone that doesn't know what they're talking about. Because ever since this wave of, uh, like when me and Valentin were talking about lifetime value in 2018 and 19, no one would give a fuck. I had one like on LinkedIn back then. I was saying in uh, 2019 that by 2020 or something like that, I have to look for that post. I said, no one is going to care about acquisition. Everything is going to go down. It's bad. It's bad, right? And uh, retention is going to be the new acquisition. And I got one like, probably from Valentin or from someone in our team. Like, I had no one right back then to back me up. So 2021 uh, comes and Shopify announces that customer lifetime value is the new thing. Everyone was talking about retention. And I'm like, you know, like I, I arrived, you know, you guys kind of arrived late to the party because we have seen this switch happening since 2016, 2018, when yeah. we, we started as a conversion rate optimization company. And we have seen that for the more than six to eight months, you couldn't do too many things just on the website to sustain growth, right, for the long term. So... I'm just saying, you know, like if you want to grow, you have to understand lifetime value is not a transactional metric. You have to look at the customer experience. You have to understand that you have to design this journey for your customers that they step mm -hmm. in and make sure, you know, like it's hard. Like I wish I could. I think, you know, most people should do our course. <laughs> if so, they want, yeah. If they want if, to get it. So, so if it's not a transactional metric then what's the better and you, and you said customer experience how would you measure customer experience what's some good strategies for that i mean there's a lot of strategies that you can use to measure it uh, i guess in, into the customer experience part it uh, contains a lot of stuff is the satisfaction is the effort is every it's you know it's everything this is a bunch of quality uh, qualitative data so this yeah. goes back to the conversation that if you can if you will rely only on numbers or non quantitative data to grow your business yeah it's not going to work I mean, the best way and the easiest way I can put it is you have to talk to your customers. And uh, I mean, it depends on how big your brand is. If you're just getting started, if you have less than a thousand or two thousand customers, you don't need none of the sophistication that I'm talking about right now in a very light way. Like you just have to pick up the phone and call customers. You just need like one, two good flows 
and you know try to send them questions try to have them you know to engage them in a conversation like you don't need all this sophistication but if you have a big brand a bigger brand that you have like six seven eight figures it's no play there anymore and this takes me to the conversation that i always have with john and with other people like a lot of companies are playing the guessing game because of the, how infatuated they are with the quanti uh, qu uh, quantitative data sorry yeah you see, you see those numbers and you think, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to use statistical probability or I'm going to hypothesize on stuff. Yeah. And then, and it's bullshit. You can't, this, this is guessing. So unless the only segment of customers that you will not play the guessing game with just to make like an assumption on how you should approach is the VIP segments, because I know you like them. Ed. So <laughs> the, the, the soulmates, the VIPs. But if you go down the drain, and see other segments of customers, you're playing the guessing game if you don't ask them, why are they with you, you know, why are they buying, what are the- but, the best time to ask them those questions though? When would you recommend to go in and how would you re uh, ask them the questions? In an ideal world, I would ask them before purchase a lot of things. Yeah. But unfortunately, because there is no, no solution at the moment besides some things that are happening from, I see from different uh, companies that are trying to do some sort of pre-purchase stuff. I'm still waiting on a great solution for that to happen. Um, you need to build your own framework. Yeah, yeah, like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on a software that really does this pre-purchase part very good. Um, but if you don't have, we don't have one of those yet, you have to take the customers uh, from the first order and yeah. try to understand, of course, like the most important thing is to, you, you have to calculate the net promoter score, right? You have to calculate the experience pre and post delivery. Valentin already talked about that uh, in the previous lives he did with you, so yeah. I don't want to go back on that. But you have to you have to make sure that the expectations that your marketing creates in the customers that you you acquire are met when the customer receives your product. So the only way you can do that is to ask pre and post delivery. You know how how do you feel about uh, you know the shopping? Are you excited to get the product? Did you is it the product what you wanted to get? Uh, did you see you know other products before this? Yeah. Like there's so many questions that you can ask pre uh, and post uh, you know uh, getting the product that can help you afterwards using the, the data trends that you have in your mm -hmm. other segments to create different type of approaches. But the problem how, is- How would you go, sorry to interrupt you, how would you go in and ask them? Would you do it via email? I think you've mentioned to me through customer support before, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's something uh, That's something like I, uh, I would do. So yes, you can yeah. do email, you can do the thank you page, you can do an exit survey of, of the thank you page, whatever. What I would suggest to do, and I didn't plan to talk about this here now, but if you just gated me into this question, I will just uh, share this with everyone that's listening. So yes, people, stop sleeping on your customer support. If I were you, if I was an e-commerce brand right now, and I had a customer support team, I would get to uh, work in terms of building habits using a customer support rep. So let's say I'm on a website right now, and I saw a product, and I'm staying for the last two, three minutes on the product page. What I would do is I would pop the screen with uh, Jason from customer support and Jason would start to have a conversation with the person. Of course, not everyone wants to talk, but you have to try and see what's, you know, what's the, what's the problem and what, you know, what, what, what you can do. So the, the way I see customer support coming into this is something that I like to call, uh, I guess, in a way, reproducing the um, retail experience when you go into the shop and have a conversation with a nice store uh, clerk or with the sale, uh, salespeople there and so on. 
So you get someone used to this customer support. Let's say you had some questions and you couldn't find those answers on the website because unfortunately not all websites are so you know, intuitive. Otherwise, yeah. a lot of people would be out of jobs right now, right? <laughs> so if you introduce someone from customer support and someone has a meaningful conversation via chat or you know, they want to be called and they talk on the phone or whatever, then if that person purchases, you have to maintain the same communication with the same person from customer support post-purchase. So if you, uh, if I bought, let's say, from uh, you and uh, talk to Jason, I want Jason to send me a confirmation besides, you know, the classic transactional emails post-purchase, uh, say, Juliana, thank you for buying. That's so awesome. I'm glad our conversation helped today. This is the sitemap. This is where you find this, this, this. Your order is going to come in two, three days or whatever. If you need anything, this is my link. You can book me at any time or we can talk or just, you know, call me directly. This is my phone number and I'm happy to assist you. And then you, 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 you see that you're comfortable. Okay, I didn't fuck up. You get the product after two, three days. And in the same day you get the product, the same customer support person sends you a message and asks you, Oh my God, Juliana, you got the product. Woo, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you enjoy it. And in a few days, I'm going to come back to you to see how was your experience. Is that okay? And of course, you're going to be okay because you're excited. You got the product and whatever. So you already set the expectations for a, a, yeah. previous, you know, a future conversation to happen. So when the moment happens for you as a customer support to collect that information, you can obviously automate it to a survey or a nice you know, uh, form or whatever. But also, if the customer wants to talk to you, you can you should allow that. You can you know always have to go for the same data points to understand the the quality of the product, the quality of the delivery services, the quality of the shopping experience, the quality of the pro of course of the product. Like there's a lot of things that you can ask right then. So then you are for sure know you you know for sure that you will get a response back from the customer. And if the the person is happy great then then you can assign those people to an email flow but if the customer doesn't know you know if the customer doesn't like the experience with you if the customer doesn't like your product yeah and then you bomb them and i'm gonna be like valentin right now and take the rifle 20 percent discount 20 percent, 30 percent discount yeah exactly like say hello to my little friend like valentin does <laughs> I don't think either of us can do it as well as he did, though. Yeah, well, we had a later on the end. Oh my! I have a gun for my son here, like a rifle. But I should have been inspired to bring it. But yeah, so like a lot of people assign new customers to flows without even thinking in any way to measure their experience. So what happens is that you buy a product. You don't even have time to experience that product. And then they just send you like the second day you bought, you bought yesterday, cool. This is the same product, 20% off. And I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? You know, I just bought it. You know, like, what do you want? Yeah. Or they ask you to review the product. Another mistake, uh, which shows a very bad communication between fulfillment and marketing. You ask people to uh, rate your product and people don't even have time to experiment the product or they didn't even receive it. Yeah. Pay attention to those things. I know it's super basic and I sound like those LinkedIn influencers right now, but like you really need to make sure you influencers. Put, yeah, the the, 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 the influencers. Yeah. Um Adam. Adam. <laughs> Adam. <laughs> I, 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 let's not get sidetracked. Let's not get sidetracked, yeah. Um 
but yeah, so a lot of things that I see right now, just to you know uh, conclude on the customer experience part, is for you guys to understand that market holistic marketing basics are the way to go further because we are living in a world right now that is slowly but surely moving to a very demanding type of market in a very yeah. demanding you know type of uh, uh roman here is making me lose my my sense of thought sorry i get i get where you're going with it though i'm sorry i just wanted to show you your fans populate the page with them but... they're not my fans they're my friends and people i like and that, that they're, they're, they're people that they're people that didn't block me yet <laughs> you didn't block yet. <laughs> roman didn't block me yet but no man like marketing is going in a way right now that it's very holistic very focused on experiences and mm -hmm. let's talk about some real shit right now people think right that consumers are perusing the internet looking for products and they just luckily drop on the website and fuck it i'm buying this i don't know light bulb today because this company built you know so much trust with me and it's bullshit like people are looking for a product to fix something to you know to, to they hire a product for a job is i like this methodology right and people are so up in their heads that think they think so they're so i know so big of themselves and then you get the marketing people from the company or the agency say look i brought you this revenue this month but then you get that poor bastard to buy from you this month but then no one comes back and buys from you again and how is that winning in e-commerce like i don't get it i don't get it like how are you winning if you only get someone to buy from you once yeah, yeah. So ultimately, it boils down to having personal relationships at scale and investing the time into yeah. just doing something beyond the most basic shit that um, <clears throat> that everybody's doing. This this brings us nicely, actually, onto <laughs> which metrics you hate the most. I know I've got my own, but they're more sort of related to email. But go on, I'll have it. First. Tell me yours first. I was looking for my rifle. Uh, click-through rate <laughs> why do you hate click-through rate Adam? because it just doesn't matter at all it's completely pointless um there's it, it, just no context to it at all same with revenue attributed to email why do you need a high click-through rate or why should you see a poor click-through rate if you're not asking anyone to click anywhere and you're just giving them value in the email itself completely pointless to measure why do you need email to be 30 40 percent of revenue if you spend it just it doesn't make sense like i don't think any of this is fought out and it's not conducive to ultimately what you were saying before the customer actually wants which is most important it's all focused on hacks growth hacks growth hacks yeah <laughs> you know i actually said this before like i don't think in 2011 when Sean Ellis came with the term growth hacking, was thinking that this bullshit is gonna come out of it. Because when growth hacking came out in 2011, Sean Ellis actually has some really noble thoughts on what, what growth hacking should be. I need to actually ask him, because I'm connected to him. I doubt he'll ever respond to me. But I should ask him, like, what does he think about what growth hacking is today? And I think it's bullshit. I think we're just, we're just trying to game everything, man. Like, I, I for once, as much as I love e-commerce, there's no day that passes when I uh, when I 
you know, don't low-key despise a lot of stuff that's, uh, that's happening in, um, in the industry. And the only people that I really feel bad about is the e-commerce brands. That's the only people I really feel bad about. Because I, I told you, as I said, when we started, I don't only blame the consultants, the agencies and whatever. Everyone has their own scopes and, you know, the way they're doing business. And it's fine. There's space for everyone. But, like, there's e-commerce brands that really want to grow and they are being taken advantage by sneaky agencies. That well, are well let, me, let me interject there. Actually, a lot of the brands don't put pressure on agencies for short-term hacks. They, they force that mindset because I can tell you, and if we've talked about this between us as well, a lot of the time I'll get approached and say, we need to increase revenue by 20% next month from email. And you're like, okay, how? what do you think is a good strategy to do that? Send more sales campaigns. But you say that's going to be harmful over 12 months to the business. And then it almost causes a shock to someone to, think, to hear that. So I think the there's a lot of onus on the owners of the brands themselves to but that happens because they don't know there's an alternative to it that's the problem because they are the, th the thing is that if the whole market is barking sales the whole market is barking revenue the whole market is barking you know gamifications and gimmickry and bullshit then how do you expect e-commerce brand owners to know that there's another way? And of course, it's hard for agencies. Agencies are forced into this because they obviously everyone has to pay bills and run a business. And if someone comes to you and asks you, bro, bump that revenue, because I read on an article and you know, I saw someone on LinkedIn saying that you need to boost that revenue and click to rate and open rate and uh, whatever, you know, just change the. And, and it's funny when the brand comes and tells you what to do because they read that on a tweet. Or um, yeah, let's stop there. Let's stop there with that. But it, it's 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 ridiculous. But the problem that I'm trying to tell you is like I do hate a lot. I don't hate. I I I don't love a lot of metrics indeed in e-commerce. But what I do not love is the fact that we're all beating against the bush to actually admit that the market doesn't have an agency or talent problem. They don't have a data problem and they don't have a software problem. The market has a know-how problem. That's the biggest problem at the moment. And a lot of people won't clench that thirst for knowledge unless you, know, you will want to push them to that direction. So I salute you and other agencies that are going against the grain and it would be so much easier for you guys right now to sell open rates and fuck it, drop drop some VIP flows, not those that you think, but you know what I mean. Fuck it, they bought only once from you, fuck it. Send them 60% yeah. discount. Actually, it just reminds me enough, one I hate is revenue per recipients. Yeah, right. I think it's probably the worst of all because it, it assumes that all you're doing with email is selling. And I hate how I've actually seen our accounts on, um, I'll just be honest about this, with certain clients as well, graded badly because they have strong open rates and poor revenue per recipient on a month. Like, why does that matter if there's no need to sell to people? The, it, it doesn't make sense. It's such short-term thinking, and it assumes that every single email you want to sell with, which is obviously just completely wrong. So I hate it. I hate it. Um, and it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just something that's pervasive and everyone thinks is like a benchmark, but it's actually not, it's not at all. 
and this is where the software companies fuck up too. And I have no shame of saying that. It's real because you might start a software and you think you're resolving a relationship problem, a nurturing problem, a customer problem, but people are using your product for the most different reasons that you would think. So because you want to keep your software in business, you're going to encourage those metrics, right? I'm not going to like call names or anything because it's not the case. But there's a lot of software companies that did not start it as a sales uh, software. They didn't start it as a sales channel, but they quickly transferred into that because that's what the market is barking right now. Mm -hmm. So, of course, unless it's going to be a switch from the biggest heads in the market that are pushing retention, as Shopify took a stance in the beginning of the year and started talking about retention and segmentation and lifetime value, the others won't follow because it's not enough for Juliana from Romania and Adam from Liverpool and John from California and uh, Roman from UK to talk, you know, to, to be online and say, this is not okay, this is wrong. It's not enough. Like we are, the more you get, and this is something I learned from John a lot amongst a lot of other stuff and it resonates with me. The more you know about this industry, the more you see all the facets of it, the more you get to see how shit actually works, the more you realize that you have no impact. You, you don't. Like, the more you think you have impact, you don't. Because it's, 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 it's what it is. Like, yeah, of course, I see the market moving towards retention. I see the market moving towards customer lifetime value. I mean, that's something I'm taking care of. That's why I'm here every day, because I want to, you know, plant the seeds for this. But... At the same time, it's not going to happen fast. But the good part is that everything is in our favor. So what's, this is something uh, Ian Rhodes told me yesterday. He said that a lot of these people that we see right now on the market preaching all this bullshit and all this crap that's just, I guess, in a way, just uh, poisoning e-commerce brands, these people are going to disappear on their own because they won't survive what's happening right now and what's coming. So that's it. Yeah, super valuable stuff. Very, very interesting as well. Um, I think I said this yesterday myself. Actually, there's not one magic bullet like marketing channel that can fix a bad business. And yeah. if you have the arrogance to think that you can send 20% off email and that's going to paper over the cracks in like someone's 10 million a year turnover company, it's so naive. And um, yeah, and, uh, you know, it's email is a great channel. Any channel can be great, but it's it's arrogant to think that you're going to fix someone's business just through a little technique or a hack. Yeah, and it's bullshit. And most of the times, they don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. That's the problem. That's the problem with social media because it made it cool for people that, I don't know, started last year and did three big clients, I don't know how, and now they're fucking gurus or I don't know, whatever, or... It's just no respect. And you know, like, what's crazy is that a lot of these things that I'm talking about today, I mean, in my opinion, everything that was good into marketing was invented back in the 50s and 60s. That's it. Uh, besides a conversion rate optimization that was brought by Brian Eisberger, um, Eisenberg back in 2010, 2011, and whatever, in my opinion, there was this is nothing new that was brought into marketing that didn't happen back in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. So all this crap that's coming up today, all this reinvention of shit, that's why I was so tight about that semantics thing the other day. And I don't want to talk about it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But And I do understand people like Mark Ritson, because at first I thought, man, he's tripping with his four Ps. But you know what? He, he's not. He's really not. He's just be becomes protective. And that's why I became protective, too, of a lot of these things that are classics and, you know, normal. 
and they should be uh, understood before, you know, as Carl Tester was saying yesterday, you have to learn to crawl before you can walk. And a lot of people want to skip steps and just get to the finish line. But the thing is, I'm going to be like, I don't have no shame in saying this. A lot of people don't see us right now, me, you, John, whatever. There's, I'm sure there's like a lot of other people like us that we don't know yet that are fighting these things every day. And every, you know, I think we're just going to see each other at the finish line. Who, who, who looks like it's winning right now, it's more like a, a, a hair, a, a uh, you know, of a frog or turtle game. Let's see who's going to be at the finish line. That's my, that's my uh, two cents on this. Do you think I'm an email guru? Can I can I call myself one? You you are an email overlord. What type of guru are you? <laughs> I don't even I, I even gave up on my on my taglines. I put on Twitter that I do e-commerce stuff and someone just asked me yesterday, like what exactly that what you what you do in e-commerce? I'm just, just chilling. I need <laughs> an tagline. Actually I, I wanna ask you something. This is for personal interest as well. You've said before, like um a few times actually not all customers are well it's obvious not all customers are created equal and some customers yeah. you don't actually want so assuming that you you filter out the customers you don't actually want let's say because there obviously is some natural churn but say you have a really good customer you don't want to lose what would be your strategy and how would with i'm getting a bit scatty with this question how would you see that they're about to churn and what would you do if you recognize that pattern Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is why RFM segmentation is cool, because when you are looking at churn, you have to always consider two things. Is it someone that bought just once and never came back? Or is it someone that it's a good customer, bought many times, and then they just stopped buying at some point, they became inactive. So RFM segmentation and RFM analysis makes sense only for historical data that's historical enough. So for new customers, RFM segmentation is just like a guide on where to go further to get qualitative data. So then if you have a customer that was good, like let's say he's an ex-soulmate or an ex-lover or ex, you know, close to VIP, I just think you just have to give up on automation and whatever. Don't, do not send them discounts. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing. Do not send them discounts. Call them. I think it's important, like, when you have one customer or two customers or three or four or whatever, you have to go the extra mile. But I don't know if it, the aim for you necessarily is to win that customer back. I think the aim for you should not be transactional. It should be to understand why did that customer turn. So don't look at bringing back, you know, good customers just because you don't want to get that uh, hit in the margin. Just try to see why those people left. I mean, some of them will get bored. Some of them found something else. Some of them maybe forgot or what, but, or, you know, you might just did someone wrong in the past and you don't know exactly what it was because you're not tracking MPS pre and post delivery. So if you are losing a good customer, understand why you are losing them. And then if it's something that you can address and fix good, you can keep them. But I think the best win from that is to understand what did you fuck up on? Yep. <clears throat> So it's just qualitative research, basically finding out why, and then using that to improve, obviously, whatever area that you like. You can see the trends in RFM of people that are in danger of being lost, right? So when you see those trends, you can use all the qualitative data that you have from the people you lost or you're about to lose that you have a conversation with, 
and then you stop those from going away because you know when they drop. So the cool part about uh, post-purchase is that is if you have enough historical data, you can see the trends. I, uh, it's that graph chances to place the next order that I told that I showed you. Yeah. You can actually see the trends of purchasing over time. So if you see uh, someone dropping after the ninth order. Yeah coming back it means something happened at the fifth or sixth order so this is where you want to go and see what happened and try to address these issues before the ninth order so that's why this research is important and that's why it's always important that every touch point should be quantified in um in you know in in measuring this experience and satisfaction yeah. you don't only have to do the net promoter score after the first order and then be goodbye. No, you have to fucking do it all the time. You have to always make sure that you deliver, you know, the top uh, level of uh, experience and satisfaction to your customers, because otherwise they will just go. And uh, one more thing here, sorry. No, go on. The result and the purpose, and I have to say this loud and clear, the purpose of qualitative research is not revenue mm -hmm. at all. It's just research. That's it. A lot of people confuse this with uh, a revenue stream, which is stupid. Interesting. Super valuable stuff. I, I'm just trying to think ahead of myself. I'm sure you could set up some automated trigger where if someone drops from one RFM group into another, you could interject yeah. through support or you could trigger a notification to support and, you know, like you said, get on the phone yeah. and email the customer. Yeah, like if you work with the software that does RFM segmentation, you want to make sure that they also send the events to Clavio or Omnisend or whatever, you know, they're yeah. using, not only the segments. And also RFM segmentation is useless. RFM analysis, though, is what separates the boys and the men and the Liverpool from Manchester. Well, which one's going to come out on top, Liverpool or Manchester? None. <laughs> none. None this exactly season. Right. Um, not, well, not the Manchester I want, anyway. Not at the moment. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> now that, that's, um, that's super valuable stuff, and I agree, actually. I'm just trying to think in my head creative ways to automate those workflows, but you could definitely set something up to trigger from support and go research, definitely. You have those events, they're sent to Clavio. And uh, also, the, yeah. the way we work, we send those events to Clavio, but we also send the net promoter score responses. So then if you have Gorgias or any other platform that you use for uh, customer support, you can send those events to, to them. So when the customer support gets those events, they can go and contact the person directly. So it, it's something that, it's, it, you know, it can be done easily. It's just that you want to make sure that the software that you work with for RFN segmentation sends the events. It's not enough to only have the segments and think everyone in the segment is the same. Yeah, yeah, you need to trigger the events, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, a lot, lots of new potential flows I'm going to sell to people from this conversation. <laughs> I'm how to get that AOV up. This oh, year. <laughs> Let, <laughs> let's not go, it'll, it'll go on for too long if we start to talk about AOV, but yeah. You are waiting for that question. I made that video with Jan. And I and see that's how we became friends. That let's is how we became let's friends. Tell, let's tell people that we we, we were not fancying each other before. <laughs> well, yeah, it it all changed with the AOV video. That was the savior. <laughs> AOV saved us. Now, but yeah, AOV. Uh, if you want me to talk about AOV, I'm just gonna say like a few words. You don't want to. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for the first one to three orders. AOV, it's not, um, for the new customers, it's like this. 
this is John's favorite subject too. Uh, if you have a new customer that buys, you have two customers. You have Adam and Juliana. Adam bought from you for 200 pounds because he can afford it. Juliana bought for 20 pounds because, you know, I'm on my broke clothes today. And uh, because of that, you as an e-commerce brand think that Adam, because he's a high roller right now, he will definitely, he's definitely worth a segmentation and a great email discount flow. And Juliana, who's broke and, you know, kicking tires, she doesn't deserve shit. Just put her in the newsletter list. So the problem is that that's a guess, that's a hypothesis, that's significant probability. I'm just, I'm, I'm never going to let that go. I'm just going to make fun of it all my life. So why is that wrong? Because you cannot know that Adam just had $200 that day or 200 pounds that day that, you know, he just spent when, you know, the product might have been shit or Adam is never going to buy from you again because, you know, he didn't like your product or he didn't like the experience or the face of the yeah. delivery guy. But Juliana that spent $20, she doesn't feel that she has enough trust with your brand yet to open, you know, her wallet more. But if she has a great experience with the support and if the product is awesome, she's going to come probably again. So you cannot know based on AOV for a new customer if it really, if that customer is really worth, you know, the whole, uh, I guess, you know, the things that you do post-purchase or not. So the best way to do is to ask. And the way you do it is to, of course, do the net promoter score, but it's also you have to do a bit of surveying after the purchase and try to understand and involve your customer support team. Like you should always, you know, deliver good customer experience, no matter if someone spends $2 or someone spends 200 So the AOV really doesn't matter. So if you're doing email marketing and you're segmenting new customer based on AOV, I don't know where you learned email marketing from. I don't know. So I'm sorry. But let me ask you something, actually. Yeah, that's, that's a weird one to segment by AOV. Never understood that. Um, a lot of people do it. I, I've, we've never done it. I'm not just saying that as well, but I've never seen the purpose in doing it, just for those reasons you've mentioned. Does the AOV, and I, I did ask you this before, um, but I yeah. want to get thoughts on here as well. Let's say you're buying like a sofa or a mattress. Um, do you not think it matters then? Maybe if the customer only has a chance to order once over all time or longer so, buying cycles? Yeah. So it all depends on the business model. If your business model is to sell low-frequency products, mm -hmm. then AOV is a given. Because if you sell low-frequency products that cost a lot of money, that's not a segmentation purpose because mostly everyone is going to have the same AOV. But if you sell a, 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 from a brand that has different pricing ranges, right? Like you can sell clothes and you can buy $20 worth of jeans and a T-shirt and you can buy $200 worth of bags and whatever, Louis Vuitton. I don't know. I'm not good because I'm wearing clothes from Decathlon. I don't give a fuck about clothes. So... Uh, you get what I'm saying? Like, it depends on the business model. But if you have a brand that sells wedding rings and, uh, I don't know, where mattresses or house furniture, of course the AOV is going to be high. So is that really a differentiator if you're, you're, you already sell big AOVs anyway? Mm -hmm. That so sounds to me, especially for, like, a fast-moving consumer goods business, uh, you, would, you, would con you would consider the... Um, frequency and obviously time between orders much more important to measure. Absolutely. Mm. AOV matters. Monetary value matters. That's not mm. what I'm saying, but it doesn't matter in the first touch points with the, a new customer. The only way I see monetary value mattering is when you already have historical data. So if you have yeah. a customer that purchased two times, you are guessing. But if you have a customer that purchased 10 times, then is when the monetary value becomes an indicator of the customer value. 
right? Because you already have a history behind. But if you don't have any data history, the only thing you do is guess. Yeah, I'm no, afraid you are random shit. <laughs> I see yeah. you have. So, sorry, say that again. I missed the last part. No, I was I was saying I hope people are not gonna ask me. So I don't know if anyone is watching this because I haven't. Uh, I don't even know. Come on, I need people to watch this right now. I feel bad. I just had two thousand downloads on Curl Test. <laughs> I'll let I'll let you know the insights afterwards. But I'm sure there's a lot. Um, no, super valuable stuff. Really appreciate you share you spending your time here and giving us all these golden nuggets. How can people contact you to find out more? I suppose I'll just tag you on LinkedIn and let the bombardment follow. I don't accept friendship requests if it doesn't have a message. And, you know, if I'm going to look at your activity and if I see you post things like agree thoughts and stuff of sorts, I will not, it's no, don't take it personally if I don't, uh, I'm not an asshole. It's just, I don't like that type of things, those sort of things. I'm not, I just want to make sure, you know, because uh, a lot of people add me and I don't add them back. And it's not because, you know, I'm a, I'm an asshole. I'm not, I'm really not. It's just that I don't like people that post those uh, cloud chasing type of uh, content or Confucius quotes, as John calls them. <laughs> Are you going to fire the discount gun for us before you go? Get it ready. Fine. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see where it is. Hold on. I found it, goddammit. You just want to use this for the cloud too. <laughs> hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay, I got the guns. Let's see. Okay, this is my, my uh, this, <laughs> this is all I have right now. This is, uh, this is my son's, uh, uh, I don't even know how to hold it. Is that like... Fire discounts. 20% off. Okay, take my money. Give me the 30% off. 30%, 40%, 50%. For, for, for the countdown timer. I don't, how do you even hold this type of... I don't even know what this is. Like, Look how lame I am. How do you hold this? You hold it like this? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Oh, oh, like this probably, you know. I, I, I suck. All those discounts going everywhere. Yeah. No, but don't use this because I look stupid because I don't even know how to hold this weapon. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's all I have. It's all I have. But yeah, thank you for having me. I feel like uh, I've been talking. I'm, I'm in a good place right now. Like I got into a place of bliss in e-commerce where I feel like we're transcending in a very good era. I am with myself right now in a very good place because of you and John, because you have been putting up with all my shit for the last two weeks with my depressive shit. So thank you on live on LinkedIn for that. And uh, thank you for uh, standing for your app for yourself in this world where everyone says uh, where, where everyone sells increase your revenue through email. So I'm uh, I'm proud to you know to be friends with someone that doesn't do that and to work with you. And and on that note, take twenty percent off. I'm gonna end it now. Twenty percent off. Yeah. <laughs>